As CTO and CIO of Celerity, Chez Cheddar enables major health systems that use Epic and Cerner to share medical records with one another efficiently and accurately. Celerity's medical record indexing solutions use technologies like optical character recognition, natural language processing, and machine learning to swiftly organize and share binders of patient information for better care. Despite what you might assume, EMRs actually don't do a good job of electronically sharing information with one another, and that's where Celerity comes in. The pandemic has really upped the ante for fast and accurate sharing of patient information, and Celerity has also figured out how to implement remotely, so it's been all systems go since COVID's arrival. Ches grew up in South Dakota, and he likes the place so much that he's recruited more than 100 Celerity IT staff to join him there. In this episode of the Health Biz Podcast, Ches shares his personal and business journey along with a couple of book recommendations, Where Does It Hurt by Jonathan Bush and Why Do We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I'm David Williams, host of the Health Biz Podcast and president of Health Business Group, a strategy consulting firm that helps healthcare companies like Celerity to develop robust growth plans. Reach out to me, dwilliams at healthbusinessgroup.com, if you'd like to discuss strategy for your company. Well, Ches Cheddar, Chief Information Officer and Chief Technology Officer of Celerity, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on with Celerity these days, but I want to understand something more about your background uh, so we can see how you, how you got here. So I'm interested, first of all, in your upbringing. You know, what was your childhood like? What, what were some of your early influences? Sure. So I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota um, I, today, and I grew up here. So I've lived here most of my life. I've always had a very strong interest in technology, tracing back to Commodore 64s and tape drives and things like that. Ultimately was a computer science major in college. Um, and in the, let's say, mid-90s, the internet was really starting to boom. And I left college to help build the very first internet provider in the state of South Dakota. So worked with them to connect the first businesses to the internet, a lot of dial-up internet for people like that. And then through several acquisitions, ended up um, part of a, a nationwide internet provider company, providing service for companies like Prodigy, if you're old enough to remember what that yeah. is. Um, I'm, I'm old enough, Chez, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everybody knows knows those anymore or even knows about dial-up internet now. That's yeah. to be an older person technology, right? And then after that, left that company and had a couple of startups in the financial services realm, did some, started to get more into software development and building custom uh, pieces of software services, things like that. And ultimately joined Celerity. Um, it's been a little bit over 10 years ago now. Um, and we have about 110, I think, employees in IT at Celerity. And most of that is based here in Sioux Falls. And we have offices as well in St. Louis, Missouri and, and Springfield, Missouri. Pretty cool. So, you know, you're, you're kind of ahead of your time. You're probably one of the first people in South Dakota. You know, now that's a popular place to live, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't too many. And I do remember the tape drives because I actually had an Atari 800 and I had, and it, oh, yeah. it was just basically a cassette player and the yep. thing would go through and, you know, and then, and then it would, you know, you'd wait half an hour to load a program and, and then you'd find out it failed. So you got to try yep. it again. Yeah, so I remember some... typing load Frogger and then hitting enter and then pressing play on the tape and then, you know, go go get some dinner or something and come back and hopefully it worked and sometimes yeah. it didn't. I was jealous of my friend who uh, had an Apple II Plus and he actually had two floppy disk drives. So we're not that old. So these are the five and a quarter, not the eight inch uh, that right. they had before, right. before that. But uh, 
but we were that. And somebody asked me once, why do they call it floppy? You know, because the three and a half were the were rigid. Um, That's right. In any case, so it's all all historian, <laughs> all historian there. So, yep. you know, so this, so you've seen a lot, and I think a lot of the career depends on the timing and you know what's going on um, in the environment, and and certainly the you know the, the rise of the internet, um, and now getting into electronic uh, medical records because you're saying you're getting right. to celerity about a decade ago. That's around the time uh, you know just after the High Tech Act and Affordable Care Act uh, coming along. So what what has happened uh, in terms of electronic medical records? You know over that time frame and what what have been some of the successes and some of the challenges that have arisen as a result? Sure, you, you know really prior to and during that time, every health system implemented an EMR. So that that era is kind of done, and I think the goal of that era was. And the funding goal of that era was to really get everything electronic to try and move away from paper. Made a lot of sense, but the goal wasn't necessarily to make those electronic medical records usable for physicians or to improve patient care. And I think health IT in the last particularly five or six years has moved now, instead of let's make things electronic, let's make them um, usable in a way that's meaningful for patient care. And so I think that's what we've always focused on is trying to say, all right, at the end of the day, an electronic medical record is about providing care for a patient as, as good as you possibly can. And technology has really ways, amazing ways to do that. And I think even the EMR companies now have moved towards how do we make this more usable? How do we make a physician experience more pleasurable, easier, faster? Um, all those kind of things now are going to be the future of the EMR. The challenges presented on our side we see are that even though we made things electronic, the way that healthcare works, things are still not very exchangeable between health systems. So if I'm moving around to different areas of care or different systems, my records can follow me, but making those records usable inside each one of those systems is still a big challenge. Um, you know, if you're dealing with ATMs and banks, you're working with money. Um, and there's a common denominator of a, of a cent, and that can be translated into a peso or whatever you want. That's e easy to do. But in healthcare, you're talking about patient conditions and progress notes and things that you can't put a common denominator on and move around easily. And so in my world, that's the challenge we work on every day is trying to make that information uniform enough that you can transfer it around and, and actually make usable, you know, important patient decisions with it. You know, even though the term interoperability has been used for a, a long time, it really hasn't uh, been there in any kind of a practical way. So I think when, you know, I, I know two of the earlier physicians who implemented electronic and medical records in Massachusetts, they were in the same office and they were surprised that, you know, one's record wouldn't talk to another. You know, that was a real uh, surprise. It's even a surprise when you try to create some kind of a database about, let's say, blood pressure. And it turns out right. there's all these fields that are using the electronic medical record for blood pressure. And you put it together and you have mostly blank fields if you picked the wrong one or somebody did it, did it differently. So there's just an amazing right. amount that has to be done for a starting point. Now, Celerity is in a business that you refer to as medical record indexing. And it wasn't a term that I had been familiar with before. What, what does that really mean, indexing of medical records? So if you imagine a medical record as a, a big pile of either electronic data or maybe images or faxes or something like that, uh, as an unstructured piece of data with a bunch of writing on it, might be handwriting, a bunch of maybe typewritten things, a bunch of test results, all that kind of stuff. Um, in order to index that, indexing refers to finding out which patient that stuff belongs to, first of all, so that you can match it to the right person. Secondly, you need to understand inside of all of that information what each document type is. So, you know, maybe there's an EKG in there and an MRI and a health and physical, something like that. So mapping each of those to their individual document type. Um, also, often you're matching that work to a particular encounter or a visit inside a health systems EMR. 
um, or maybe an order that's placed for a test and matching that test back to that order. And then there's also the need to pull discrete pieces of information off of that, maybe test results, um, blood levels, something like that, that might be usable by the health system. So you're taking all of that information out and then storing the images or data in the EMR along with all that stuff that you extract is really the process of indexing a medical record. One of the things that is a little surprised, I've been writing my blog about the business of healthcare for a long time. And I think 10 or 15 years ago, I wrote about how the fax machine was still out there. And we don't have so many kind of physical fax machines printing things off anymore, but the concept of faxing is still out there. When it used to be handwritten things in a physical paper, but now it's sort of typed up things, but they, they still kind of come across in a fax type of model. What, what are you actually seeing there? What, what, what kind of, you talk about document types. I mean, what's actually coming across? Yeah. So um, frequently what you'll see is probably 80% of the, the documents that are processed in most systems come via electronic fax. Not, you know, you, don't, you can't think of it as somebody feeding a piece of paper, as you said, into a fax machine and hitting send anymore, but it's the process of you know, choosing something in the electronic medical record and saying send to this clinic or something like that. The way that that gets delivered today is still via electronic fax. I think that was primarily because email and other technologies were just not as secure. There's more hops involved. You know, it's easier to just say, I know I'm an end-to-end communication here when I make a phone call with a fax. Um, So what happens is when I go across the street to an urgent care and get a test done, and that has to be delivered back to my primary medical center or my PCP, that is definitely, or most of the time, going to be sent via a fax. Um, sometimes people still carry paper around. Sometimes patients will download records into a, a mobile wallet or a DVD or a thumb drive or something like that that you've got data on. But most of the world today in healthcare still delivers that information via electronic fax. And what have you seen in terms of the you know changes? Have there been some advances that have made things more reliable? or faster or, or, or cheaper? Or do we just sort of go from the paper to what you've just described? Um, you know, really, you'd be a little surprised that in health systems today, they haven't really changed a lot of the way they do this. If you haven't implemented any technology to do that, there haven't been that many incremental changes. So in the inpatient setting in a hospital today, I think most health systems still do what's called post-discharge scanning, which means there's paper created as a patient is, is there being treated. And after I'm discharged or leave the health system, all of my records are bundled up and they'll go down to, into the basement into a health information management group. And they'll sit around a table and they'll pull out the things that they don't want to keep and they'll sort it out and maybe barcode it and some other stuff. And then they'll ultimately scan that stuff and store it in the record. And that's gone on for many, many years and hasn't really changed a lot if you don't implement any technology there. Um, the difficulty, of course, with that is that patient record is still, even though you have an electronic medical record, and sometimes you've paid billions of dollars for that medical record system, um, you still have what's called a shell chart or some amount of paper documentation that typically sits in a shelf on the floor of the hospital that I'm being treated in, which means if you're not on that floor and you don't pull that chart and read it, there's information there that you're not treating me with that isn't available to everybody else in that health system. So that kind of still exists today. That challenge surprisingly is everywhere. In the ambulatory world, in, in the clinics, typically what you see is this tremendous amount of fax volume coming in from the outside, and you have people who are their primary duty is usually not working with medical records, but who every day have to check these fax queues and one at a time see what the fax is. Is it a prescription refill? What is it? And then look it up, look up the patient in the EMR and kind of one at a time index those things into the EMR. And, and those two processes really remain unchanged over the last 10 years without new yeah. technology. 
That's good. You don't have to pay too much attention, right? You don't have to like keep up day to day. It's not like some some other tech things that are changing <laughs> super fast. Now, so you've described a couple of manual processes in terms of you know grabbing up those shelf charts and bringing them down to the HIM uh, department, doing the scanning, and then somebody mm-hmm. who's in a practice that's receiving all this. But what sort of automation is involved in, in medical record indexing? And maybe you know if you contrast what you see in kind of a, a typical place that's not technology enabled versus what's actually possible. Yeah. Now. Absolutely. So, and that's, that's really where we come in. So what, what Celerity tries to do is bring as much automation to that process as possible. Um, you know, I believe medical record indexing is, if not the most difficult unstructured data out there to deal with, it, it's, it's high on the list. Yeah. And so I don't think there'll ever be a day, or at least not in the near future, where this is a completely automated process and there isn't a human component. So what we try to do is take as much technology as you can um, that's NLP, that's machine learning, that's template-based models, OCR, all that stuff, and put it together to do as much recognition of that as you can. And if you can take away 70 80% of that work, you've made a huge impact in both the productivity and the quality uh, that, that these health systems can, can achieve. So take those two examples I gave you of the old school ways of doing it. In the inpatient setting, you're doing that manually. You don't have the record available until days after the patient has left. If you implement Celerity, most of our clients have moved to what, what you would call point of care capture, which means as soon as something is created or arrives, you just drop it in. Celerity is going to do its recognition of that using all those tools I mentioned. Um, our people are there too to work as a service to help if there's something the software can't recognize or there's you know maybe multiple things that match a particular instance, you have to decide which one it belongs to. So they'll complete that and they'll send it to the health record. And that all happens, I think, on average in less than 25 minutes. So now in that inpatient setting, while I'm in that hospital bed, all of my records are available for every single provider in that system and maybe even outside of that system in real time um, with maybe only a few minute delay from the time that piece of paper arrived. In the clinic setting, it's the same kind of thing. As those faxes arrive, rather than having somebody manually work that fax queue and go through these images one at a time, um, in, in our case, Celerity pulls that information in, runs through its OCR and natural language processing and all that, and is gonna do the same thing within you know maybe 25 minutes or so or less we're going to send that information back to the EMR nicely indexed there without you having to work it all manually. And again, our service side will take care of any of the, the kind of things that fall through the cracks. So it's a tremendous change from sort of the manual way of processing things. So if I think about it, and we've talked before about some of the technologies that you apply, but one of the challenges can be you have all these, you know, you, you talk about the medical record being gathered up, but you can get some other patient stuff mixed in there too. So part of what you're doing, I think probably with uh, with your technology is, you don't require them to do a barcode to say, you know, which patient this is. You're picking that up from something that's on the on the page. Except the thing is, if you're in a health system, there's a lot of different numbers on there that could be a patient identifier. So you got to figure out what patient and then what document type of which there's at least dozens or maybe hundreds. And then you got to figure right. out what it says and 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 put it in the record in a way that is actually going to be useful. And when the patient goes to be treated again, it, it, you know, that's going to be the basis for care. So it has to be right. Sure. It can't just be. Yeah, so how how do you manage all that? You know, that's huge. And that is a, a real tenant in our process is in order to get efficient at this, you can't spend time putting individual patient labels and stickers and barcode stickers on every single page of the work you're going to do. That's just, you know, that that's never going to work to get the productivity levels you're going to need to do. So for us, when we receive information in Celerity, we don't know what it is, um, usually don't know where it came from. We don't know what it contains or what it might not contain. And you're right, patient is the first and most critical piece of that. So the ability for NLP in our case to find all the patient identifiers we can and start to understand, um, are there conflicting patient identifiers with two different patients? Are there no patient identifiers? Can we find somebody in the EMR that matches these? 
is not only really critical, but it's a huge advancement from the process of a human being looking at those one at a time. If you take, you know, if you're in a health information group and you take a 300 page patient chart and you've got to index that thing to page through there and find the one page that might belong to the wrong patient or if somebody dropped it on the floor or whatever, you know, that's just, that's tough to do. It can be done, but quality can be pretty tough. And we've seen when sites um, can manage or measure sometimes their quality ratings, we've seen some pretty high error rates. In fact, sometimes we see error rates as high as 30 plus percent wow. in the work they do manually with a human being, right? So if you start to implement that NLP and the technology behind the scenes to help you identify when a patient doesn't match or when there might be somebody else here or images you need to be concerned about even for, for human intervention, all of a sudden now you can drop those error percentages to a lot of times, you know, far less than a, than a single percent. COVID-19. So a lot of changes everywhere. I got to imagine that's affected medical record indexing. Is it just more the same for you or, or is it just, I mean, what's, was a step change? What's, what's different? Well, you know, it's interesting. We actually had our busiest year ever last year um, through the pandemic. And, um, you know, the first big change for us was learning to do business analytics and discovery of workflows and implementations, you know, large scale health system implementations completely remotely. Yeah. And I, I'm happy to report that actually worked out great and, you know, has made us a little bit quicker and more nimble in our ability to implement sites because we don't have to be, uh, you know, out there and in hotel rooms quite as much. Um, but the other thing that, that happened there, and you're seeing it in, I think, every industry right now is there's staffing and recruiting problems in healthcare, just like everywhere else. And so the idea that you can implement a piece of software to not only improve your quality, but require less manual intervention and sort of let people work on patient care duties instead of holding paper and sorting through it, um, I think has really put an emphasis on, on getting celerity into, into more health systems. Um, and then the other thing that's happened is when healthcare gets stretched to a breaking point, like it was during the pandemic, um, the idea of a patient record that's not available until days after a patient's gone um, becomes even more problematic, right? That you just, you need everything to work perfectly in those scenarios. So that also put an emphasis on Celerity saying, look, we've got to have real-time records. We need all the records available when we're treating somebody and we need them right now. And so that's, I think, led us to just this uh, really, a really huge year for us last year. And that's continued well into this year. You talked about how the medical record indexing is one of the hardest challenges, you know, hardest industries to, to do something like this. In, and we just talked about the specific elements of the pandemic. I mean, is it a, an issue that's unique to healthcare, or would you would you have the equivalent of celerity in some other industries as well? No, you know, I mean, if you take banking as an example, there's a lot of unstructured data that comes in. Um, you know, for a home mortgage, for instance, when you're going through that process, we've all signed you know giant packets of paper that yeah. that ultimately have to be stored and indexed somewhere. So. There's definitely a need, you know, we've chosen to focus on healthcare, just kind of the scope of that problem and, and um, had such good success there that that's been our focus. But we do see a need in other industries very similar to what we've done with Celerity. We've done some tests with our product in those other industries and found that we can have, you know, similar or even better success rates in indexing that information. What I would say is I've not seen a lot of other technologies there. There've been some software companies who will do OCR and apply some rule sets to, to scanning, for instance. But the ability to take a very high tech piece of software and marry it with the human being side of what we do, the service side of what we do is pretty unique. And I, I don't see that in other industries yet. As I mentioned earlier, we've been talking about interoperability back from the, you know, the start of two 
physicians getting medical records and wondering why they can't, you know, make it work between their their patients. But there hasn't been all of that much progress until relatively recently. There are some interoperability rules that were issued right around the start of the pandemic, actually. And I'm wondering what kind of impact uh, those rules and other kind of uh, policy changes or just initiatives by the EMR companies and others have have had. Are we closer to a real interoperability than we were before? You know, it has helped. Um, those, those rules like the Cures Act, for instance, are really, I think, primarily designed to open up the health record to um, other health care vendors and the patient, primarily the patient. So the ability for a patient to reliably say, I want to just go download my whole record and take it with me in a wallet and go somewhere else with it, you know, that that was harder recently. And, and that's gotten a lot easier through, through all those legislative efforts. Um, the EMR vendors have worked really hard. Uh, to to allow the exchange of their health records to a patient level, um, it's it's a lot easier to do that today too. The difficulty we see is what hasn't really changed is when you're exchanging information inter health systems, it's still really difficult to have a standard to exchange that stuff on. So you know, for example, every health system has what they would call their legal medical record and their designated record set, and those are um, things that committees form and we decide what we're going to treat a patient on, what we're going to store, what we're not, what format we're going to store it in. And there's really no standard for those things to be exchanged yet today. So while we have great tools like Fire Release 4, which will allow us to exchange information between health systems in kind of an API format instead of kind of uh, older school or HL7 formats, um, those are great. But ultimately, when that message arrives, there's still no standard way to say, okay, here's where this needs to be stored. Here are the things we want. Let's make sure it's the right patient. There's still a, a technology and a human intervention side for that. So for, for us, what it's led to really is those kind of things have led to an explosion of data. And so I think health systems today and definitely as time goes on here are faced with more and more data they have to manage and understand, you know, do I want to be responsible for all that data? Where do I want to store it? Which pieces are important to me? That kind of thing. So that's where Celerity comes in to say, we can normalize any kind of message that comes into you and place it exactly where you want, make sure it's the right patient, take little snippets of information, whether it's structured or not, out of it and make it usable for the the treatment of that patient. So it sounds like what happens is that on the one hand, this focus on interoperability could take away maybe some of the demand for what you do because maybe, maybe people build in an electronic pathway that they wouldn't have before. But you've got a whole bunch more data. And then there's also just the expectation that it's going to be exchangeable. So something that might have sat somewhere before and you said, you know, sorry, go here and there. Now they need to bring it together and they, and they may need celerity to do it. There's another piece, though, that I think is interesting, which is just to sort of about trust and um, how much one health system wants to be in the record of, of another one. So let's say you, you can even exchange it electronically and have these two records. Do I want to have somebody else put into my electronic medical record something that they did and then it's part of my record? Does that, does that come about as, a, as an issue? It absolutely does. Um, that's a huge issue because you you know accepting those records, you're now sort of legally responsible for what's on those records and that you've reviewed them and you've, you've done what needs to be done for those patients. So if you just accept that information and you stick it somewhere in the record, there's a big difference from being able to see it and making it usable, um, showing trends, for instance, uh, of blood levels in a graph. Like that's very different than having, you know, the fourth paragraph in some progress note that came from a, from other health system tell you that there's something you need to be concerned about. So the odds of you seeing that are are pretty slim in a lot of cases, right? So, yes, I think that's a primary concern right now is we have all this data coming in. 
And if we just accept it and place it in the EMR, it's just going to be a mess. And it's not going to conform to the way that an individual health system does their work at a physician level. So that's problematic. You need to be able to normalize that data to take the pieces you need to place them in various places in the EMR. And there's no magic sort of matching algorithm for that where you say, okay, well, if it comes from Johns Hopkins and it's headed to Mayo, here's, here's how it maps. That, that doesn't work. But it, it actually does work in the world of celerity where we can make those translations for the, the client and, and place those things discreetly in the record. So we talked before about other industries. Now I want to get your perspective on other countries. You, you said before that you know, due to the pandemic and and by necessity, you'd become kind of untethered physically. So you weren't going on site to do the implementations as you had in the past. I mean, are there similar needs outside of the US or or, or you just not see the same kind of problem? And I mean, can you serve them given that you don't have to maybe go there physically? (laughs) Not that I'm trying to give you more more work. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yes. Um, The same problems do exist outside the U.S. Um, We do currently have customers in Canada. We see the same things there, but but overseas as well. um, You've seen a lot of growth in the EMR market. You know, Epic and Cerner, for instance, doing a lot of of international work now, and we see the same challenges there um, that we do in the U.S. We have not yet started to to you know explore that, but I think that's in our near future. Sounds good. Well, we'll we'll have a, a good reason to do a podcast, uh, another podcast. Maybe maybe we can do it in a in a foreign country. I can't do it in a different language because I'm stuck <laughs> with English for now. But uh, <laughs> we'll see what Me we either. can do. So, last question for you is is a question that I ask all my guests, which is just about anything, any books that you're reading, anything of interest, anything you want to recommend, or anything you want to recommend that we avoid. Sure. Um, so actually, there's a book called Why Does It Hurt. It's a little old now, but Why Does It Hurt, and um, it's by Jonathan Bush. who founded Athena Health, I'm sure as you know. And um, I think the discussion of the difficulty in doing business in healthcare and um, some of sort of the challenges that healthcare faces in general is spelled out really well in that one. So I I always tell people who are looking at healthcare businesses, um, read that book to start to understand the challenges you're going to face there. And then the other one, and I'm sure lots of your interviewees have mentioned this one, but uh, the Why Do We Sleep book, I think that's Matthew Walker. It's a fascinating book, and uh, you'll definitely try and get eight hours of sleep every night after you read that, if you understand the importance of that. So those are the two that, that are on my mind right now. Oh, that sounds good. And actually, that one, I have the most popular one among the guests is actually the hard thing about hard things. Oh, uh, sure. It's a startup person. And then and if they didn't mention it, like, yeah, that's another one. Uh, but yeah. why do we sleep is not is actually, uh, maybe one other person has mentioned it, but uh, that's you're, you're making a new contribution okay. uh, there and also with the, with the Jonathan Bush uh, book as well. So great. great. Well, Ches Cheddar, CIO and CTO of Celerity, thank you very much for participating on the Health Biz Podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.